Well, good morning again. Here you go. This is top New Year's resolutions 2016, according to the latest data, uh, ABC News report. Ready? I'll give you the top five. I'll start with five, and we'll work our way up. Uh, number five is save more, spend less. Number four is spend more time with family and friends. Number three is lose weight. Number two is live a healthier lifestyle. And number one, which is interesting to me, was enjoy life to the fullest. Enjoy life to the fullest. That's interesting to me because Jesus himself said that he came to bring life and life to the fullest. That was his purpose. That's what he was offering. And this, uh, apart from Jesus, it really is unattainable, but there is a desire in the human heart for a fullness and abundance of life that people, you know, resolve to pursue in one, just really trying anything to, to find that. Uh, but I would say this as well, even as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ, this life to the fullest, as Jesus says it, and as he describes life in his kingdom and being his people, we we, even as believers, can feel like we're somehow disconnected from this fullness, that we aren't there yet or that there's, there's a missing piece of the puzzle for us. So my hope is for us, starting today through the rest of the winter, we're going to focus on a topic that I hope and I believe could be a significant step towards bridging that gap between where we're at and this image of life with Christ that we see painted in scripture that's, that he's promised for us, that he offers us as followers of Jesus. So I want to introduce some concepts to you. This is going to become, these things that we talked about this morning, this will be a little bit of an overview, but we're going to be focusing on these same th themes for a whole season here. And uh, it's, so it's sort of a long introduction, and then we'll take a look at this passage of scripture that Jay just read for us. But let's pray as we approach this together. So, Father God, as we begin a new year, we acknowledge that you are a God of new beginnings. And as your word says, your mercies are new every morning. Lord, even in this moment, we pray that you would do your renewing work in our hearts and in our minds as we consider your word and your call on us to be your people. So we pray your blessing over this time. We give it to you in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. All right, I want to introduce you to a graphic that we're going to be using, some variation of this. We've got a slide for you. This is, um, okay, so a lot of the themes that we're going to be thinking about this season uh, introduced to us, again, these are not new ideas, but uh, introduced to us in a new way uh, by a man named Neil Hudson, and he works with the London Institute of Contemporary Christianity, and he introduced a graphic like this at a conference I was at. And what this represents, this image on the right, we're going to call this the church gathered. And the image on the left, we're going to call this the church scattered. So we, the church, are the red dots. You see that? And so that's, this roughly represents the sort of our population of Massachusetts of uh, Christians who feel that their life is on mission for, the world, for Jesus in the world. And... That's nice, and if you look at the dots on the right, it's okay, they, they're unified. There's a certain sweetness to that. It, you sort of feel, okay, small but mighty, and I don't know how that feels to see it, but just sort of gathered. But, and, and we, this is, right now, we are the church gathered. We're kind of sitting in one place. When you gather as your small group, 
that's this. Senior link is this. Family night is this. When we gather together, that's, that's what this represents. And, and we've talked about this before, but probably about 10 hours of your week, you'd, uh, two, anywhere from 2 to 10 hours a week, you would be church gathered type of stuff. That also includes when we leave the church and, and serve together, if we're, we're going to go serve at a homeless shelter, you know, we have organized ourselves together to be together to go serve. That all, I include all that in church gathered. The rest of your waking hours, which we calculate about 110 hours a week, when you're not asleep, you're the church scattered. We go to, this is the time that you spend in your home, in your neighborhood. This is the time you spend at work, you know, 40 to 60 hours at work. Or if you're a student, you spend time in school. Uh, this is the time when you're doing business and interacting with the community, where you're involved in civic things and just out and about. So there's the church gathered and the church scattered. And, and I don't know how you feel about seeing it, you know, church scattered like that. It can feel lonely, you could feel isolated. There's, there's a lot of feelings that people feel when they're in that mode of church scattered. What I want to introduce today is how, what is our posture when we're in church scattered hours and mode? And that's, again, that's the bulk of your waking hours. That's where you're going to be. So what is, how do we interact with the world around us? And, oh, and again, anyway, we could, that's, that's good enough for that. Um, we'll talk more about these, these graphics. And we can just leave those up for, the, for our message. Just let that be kind of a visual reminder. But what we, what we want to focus on is this time here. And our purpose statement as a church, which we were reviewing and preaching about this fall, uh, includes the phrase that our purpose is to mobilize people for service to his church in the world. So, Or as scripture puts it in Ephesians chapter 4, that... God has appointed leaders in the church to prepare God's people for works of service. And what we want to do is focus on how do we equip each other, or how do we use this time as we gather to equip us to live out this time as we scatter. It's another way to put it. And what kind of mode do we go into here? To consider this, we're going to turn to the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah. Now, the Old Testament is is beautiful for us as the church, as, as followers of Jesus. Because the Old Testament is, it, there are things that happen literally in human history, historic events that happen, God revealing himself and at work in, in the world. But it also, in a sense, is, is symbolic to us. It is a, it's lessons we learn. The New Testament describes the Old Testament as our teacher. As Romans 15.4 says, everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So we just get, we get an image of God's heart. We get an image of what it means to be God's people looking at the Old Testament. And the beauty of the Old Testament is we get some extreme examples. So we get an extreme example of what it means to be the church gathered, where God's people were gathered as a political nation and the purity of their worship in the temple and their interaction with, with foreigners was, was a little bit distant they were, because they were gathered in one place as God's people. But we also have a vivid image of what it means to be God's people scattered. And one of the, the best places to look is the time of the exile where 
because of, okay, long story short, but because of the people's sin and the sin of the leaders that got, and they did not heed God's warning to return to him, to be faithful to his promises, his covenant, that God allowed them to be conquered by a foreign nation. So the southern kingdom was conquered by Babylon, and they were taken off. Many of them were taken to foreign land. So they were very much God's people scattered in a foreign place. And during that time, Jeremiah was the prophet. So what was, the, what was intended to be the people's posture? Well, they're living in exile. They're living in a foreign country. They're living under sinful leadership in a, in a place that does not honor or serve God. What is the posture of the people towards that world? The Babylonians had one idea, what they were hoping for. The Israelites, who were in exile, had another idea. And God had a completely different from both those groups. Let's look at the Babylonians first. This is what the Babylonians are hoping for. They're hoping assimilate. The Babylonians were powerful, and they were not stupid. And they got good at conquering people and conquering foreign people. And this is what they learned. When you conquer people, the more you push them down, the more that they're likely to rise up back against you, to revolt. So if you have a group of people and you expel them, or you severely marginalize them, or you enslave them in some way, they get angry. And they don't like that. And they rally together in this horrible conditions you create for them, and they they revolt. They rebel. There's uprising. So they learned a better technique. It's get these people to assimilate and become like us and just to become us, and they're no longer a threat to us. They are us. So we read about this, if you're familiar with Old Testament scriptures, in the book of Daniel. What did they do with the exiles, like Daniel? They gave these these folks Babylonian names. They gave them Babylonian food. They gave them Babylonian education and training. They they did everything they could to instill in them the Babylonian way of life. Live life in the city like everyone else. And within a generation, you just be Babylonians, and it makes their empire and their city stronger. That's what Babylon wants. For us today, that is what our world wants us to do as Christians in Massachusetts, Merrimack Valley, 2016. The world wants a uniform political correctness that doesn't involve you living your life as a citizen of the city of God, as the people of God. Whatever your God thing or your Jesus thing is, you do that privately, but when you're part of the city, when you're part of the culture, when you're part of the Babylon, so to speak, you, you don't go there. You leave it behind. We, we all act the same. In, in, in terms of this illustration, what the world would want is those red dots to turn black. It's okay to be red you know, when you're just sort of together doing your thing, but when you're part of our city, we, it's actually uncomfortable if you're too red. So just kind of... The goal is to just kind of disappear altogether. When we live that way, we end up with a much narrower, much, it's much less radical, much less the life of the kingdom of God and life to the fullest as Jesus describes it. 
this compelling picture in the Bible, we don't experience it. And the other problem is when you assimilate, you, start, you, you no longer adopt God's values and God's morals and God's way, and you assimilate, ad- adopt the values of the city around you. For example, and, and this is in any culture. It was true for the exiles in Babylon. It's true for us today. For example, how do you use power and status? God's way of power and status is to use it to, uh, for the benefit of others to serve. The world uses power and status as a way to get ahead, a way to build up my own reputation and my own pride. You know, how do, we, how do you use money? Is it an end in itself, something to be gained, or is it a tool, as God's purpose is, a tool that you can use for the benefit of others? How do we use sexuality? How do we pursue sexuality? The world says it's just for pleasure and your own self-fulfillment and self-expression. God has a greater, a life-giving, fulfilling purpose for human sexuality that reflects him and reflects his goodness. But again, what values are we adopting? How do we value human life? The world and and the city says we value the brightest and, and the best. But what about the broken and the hopeless and the helpless and the aged and the unborn? When we we assimilate to the world around us, we, we we adopt values that are not of God. And these things get twisted. That's not what God wants. But that is what Babylon wants. Assimilate. The Israelites did not want to assimilate, and that's good. Babylonians said... Assimilate. The Israelites in exile, our second thing here, they said, isolate. (laughs) The exiles are in this foreign place. They say, look, we are out of place here. We cannot worship correctly here. This place is sinful and it's bad and it's defiled. We do not belong here. So here's the plan. Just wait it out. Just wait it out. Don't interact with this sinful Babylon around us. Uh, you know, let's live in tents and let's live on the edge of the, of the city and just hope that something changes for the better soon. So, and don't interact with that city unless it's absolutely necessary for our benefit so that we can wait this thing out. This is what, in, in, in your scripture, in verses 7 and 8, we see this where there's this warning against uh, the false prophets. You know, God says, don't let the prophets and, and diviners among you deceive you. Don't listen to the dreams that you encourage them to have. They're prophesying lies. This is, so what are these lies that are being perpetuated by these false prophets? <clears throat> to see that, you'd have to turn back a couple chapters. So Jeremiah chapter 27 and Jeremiah chapter 28. This is great. Because Jeremiah, if you're not familiar with him, he was very unpopular prophet, even depressed. He had bad news after bad news after bad news for, for these people. So this is, this is about as unpopular. And they were going to kill him. They were going to kill the messenger, literally, because they didn't like what he was saying. So they're looking for other prophets. And here's what these other prophets said. They said, look, this yoke of Babylon. Oh, and, and God as a symbol of how bad it is to be taken by this foreign nation into a foreign place, the, the yoke and the burden that it is, that God had Jeremiah fashion a wooden yoke 
and he's wearing this wooden yoke around. Uh, here's a message from God. Like, oh, get wooden yoke depressing guy away from me. So there was, in, in Jeremiah chapter 28, there was a prophet named Hananiah. And this is his prophecy. He said, this is what God is saying. Within two years, this whole thing's going to be over. That yoke of Babylon is going to be broken. And all the, they, they took all the, the furnishings and the things that we need to worship. They took it out of the temple and they put it in their, in their palace and in their foreign place. We need that stuff back. And it's, within two years, all that stuff's going to be restored. We're going to get our king back. All the exiles are going to come back to Jerusalem. Everything's going to be fine. And Jeremiah is standing there with his yoke thinking this doesn't sound like the messages God gave me. And, but he says, you know what, Hananiah? Amen. I hope that's true. I hope this thing is over quick and we all go home. And Hananiah said, Jeremiah, come here. That wooden yoke you're wearing, cracks, breaks it, throws it down. That's what it's going to be like. This whole Babylon thing is going to get broken and God's going to restore us. God said, don't listen to that. That wooden yoke, let's rebuild it out of iron. This is not the message. The message is not just isolate and wait it out. Now, isolation is different than the church gathered. When I talk about isolation, I'm not talking about that over there, because this is actually good and important that we gather and that God's people are, are, are gathered. It, but there is a, kind of bringing it to today, there is a, a temptation for us to want to isolate from the world around us. In this part of the country, it's not as much of a, a, an issue as other places. An extreme example of it would be, say, the Amish or certain Mennonite communities where you just completely isolate from the culture around you. You create your, com a complete subculture that is in every way possible, unless I really need to interact with the outside world, we just do our own thing. But there's less overt examples of an a isolated Christian subculture. You know, where those would say, you know, you shouldn't do an exercise program, you should do a Christian exercise program. And you shouldn't join a sports league, you should join Christian sports league. And you shouldn't be part of clubs and organizations, you should be part of Christian clubs and organizations. You shouldn't go camping, you should go to Christian campgrounds. You know, the, you should only do business with other Christian business people. And, and, and again, all those things are, are fine and good. I... Christian camping. I love Christian camping. I met my wife at a Christian camp, and I probably wouldn't be here if it weren't for Christian camping. What I'm talking about is the value of those things at the exclusion, at the repulsion of things that aren't labeled Christian, isolated. Um, not interacting with non-Christian institutions, educational, music, art, business, athletics, cuisine, anything. Uh, it, it's, there is this danger of isolation. And again, I actually don't think this is as much of a danger for us as the danger of assimilation. But where it does become a danger is if we just focus all of our time and all of our energy on, our resources, on church-gathered stuff and ignore the call. We focus all of our time and effort and money on the you know, two to ten hours gather and totally forget about the beautiful ministry that God has called us to in the 110 hours, 
that's where, this, where isolationism becomes a danger. And what it does is it creates a resentment towards Babylon. Okay, I'm only gonna, the only thing I care about Babylon is if I really need something and I'll take it and get it and as quick as I can isolate. But it creates, uh, creates a withdrawn, isolated, uh, non-engaging posture. But that's not what God had in store for them. So Babylonians say, assimilate. The Israelites say, isolate. What does God say? God says, bless. God says, bless the city. Be part of the city. Live there. Build houses. Plant a garden. Have children. Prosper. And prosper not just for your benefit, but prosper for the benefit of Babylon, of the whole city. Seek the peace. Seek the shalom of the city. Seek its prosperity. And you can just picture the Israelites sitting there. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Bless this sinful city. We're here because of our sin. And we are under, we are in a sinful place that does not honor you, Lord. They're sinful leaders in sinful ways. And God says, bless them and be a blessing to them and pray for them. And I, you know, and I know it's a bad place. And I do have a plan for you. And I have a hope for you. And it's good. And you're going to be returned from exile. You're going to be back in Jerusalem. There is, that time is coming and that my city will, will be in its fullness again. But it's not for another, it's more like 70 years. Not two years. And you can imagine people doing the math in their heads. Wait, 70 years? I'm not going to live to see this. And God says, yeah, build a house. Plant a garden. Be part of it. No, it's not a good place. But don't become like them. Don't isolate from them. Bless them. We, church, are the new Israel. We are the city of God. We are part of this, we are meant to be citizens of this new Jerusalem, which God has promised will come in the future. We just don't know when. We'll live in it in all of its fullness. Beautiful images of that in the New Testament. And the city of Babylon, also kind of vile images of the city of Babylon in the New Testament, particularly in the book of Revelation. We are citizens of God's city living in exile, in Babylon, with a hopeful expectation of the new city. But we're not to just assimilate to where we're at, nor we are to isolate. We are to be a blessing. God has called us to bring shalom to our cities. And we always have, we just have to remember what makes a city great? What makes our Merrimack Valley great? In the world's eyes, it's human effort. It's building a name and a reputation for yourself. It's becoming successful. And, and you know what that is? That's exhausting. That creates identity crises. It, who am I? Why am I toiling for, to, to get ahead? And what is the goal of all this? And really the goal of it all is, is pride. Look what we've done. Look at our community. Look how beautiful it is. Look at, look at the schools that we've built. Look at the businesses that we have. Look at our economy. Look at me. Look at my success and my money and my wealth. And 
And along the way, it doesn't matter who you exploit. It doesn't matter what you have to steal or deceive to, to get ahead, but you get ahead and, and you are filled with pride. That's how the world thinks a city is great. How does God think, a, what makes God's city great? Not human effort. It's God's grace. God's grace and God's love that fuels life. Where we don't have to worry about our status and our own pride, but we are confident in our status because we are called God's children. So instead of being full of pride, we can be full of joy. We can be full of confidence and hope. In, in the, the city of, of man, you take what you can get. In God's city, you go in there to serve. Not just for my personal gain, but for the blessing of the world around me. This all flows from God. And this is how God, this is how God came into the city. That God, who had all the authority and all the power, laid it down to, to become a servant. Jesus came to this earth, took on human flesh to serve and to be a blessing to a sinful world. Not to take from it, but to give life to it. And Jesus becomes the ultimate exile. So this, the notion of exile in Scripture is just you know, pushed out of God's city, pushed out of God's presence. Jesus gets the ultimate exile that we deserve because of our sin. He gets it on the cross. He gets the rejection and pushed. It, literally, he went into Jerusalem. He went into God's city, and he got cast out of the city and killed on the cross so that we might ultimately be brought into God's eternal city, his, his new kingdom, his new Jerusalem. That This all flows from what Jesus did for us. Using his power not for his own gain, but to, to, to save and to serve. To benefit and bless the world, not take from it. That's God's way, and that's why we live this way. So here's what here's for us as a church. This is what I want to do. We, we do spend a lot of time and money on our church-gathered red dots in the corner. That's good. That, that needs to be a focus. We need to work on that. But what we're going to do for this season is we're going to intentionally shift our focus to this time. How do we live our lives in the city, in our community? I've got small group resources that will companion well with this. You could talk to John Givens, talk to me about that. We'd love for you to journey and really consider this for yourself. I, and I want to consider, what do we get angry about? What do we really care about as a church? We, we recently did a survey. We had a consultant come in and, and do a, what's called a natural church development survey. Very helpful. Surveyed a number of people in the church, did some focus groups. Trying to understand where are we at as a church and what are we passionate about and what are we angry about. The, the most common stuff that we care the most about is really this came out loud and clear. What I call vibe. Not satisfied with the vibe, <laughs> the music, the style, the, you know, you don't have this program that I like to see, you know, as we gather, I'd like to see some different things here. Very little do we speak up about that. Very seldom will somebody get angry at me or a leader in the church saying, Pastor, leader of a ministry, you didn't equip me well enough to live my life out in my workplace. 
You let me down. You didn't show me how to be God's person in a sinful world. So people say, well, I didn't, I didn't like the vibe of the, this side. The, ten, the two hours, ten hour, not this one. I, I want us to get angry about the right things. I want to intentionally make this shift together. So even tomorrow, so think about it. And I'm going to use this phrase a lot, and I've been using it. You may have noticed I've used it. This time tomorrow, T-T-T, this time tomorrow, wherever you are, not when we're gathered here right now, Monday morning, this time of the day, God, what are you doing around me? How might I be a blessing as a citizen of your city in this place where you've called me? How might I seek the shalom of this place around me? And my goal and, and my hope for us as we teach on these topics and explore them and equip, is that, that we would be equipped to do that. So may God give us the grace to be citizens like that. Amen.